Welcome to the Super Sentai Brothers. This is episode 22 of For Your Eyes, O-Ranger, the internet's best and only podcast dedicated to Choroki Sentai O-Ranger. Every week we watch an episode of the show and we share our thoughts with you, the listeners. My name is Matt J. With me as always is my co-host and brother Dave. Dave, how you doing today, bud? Or should um, I say, how you doing tonight? I am pretty, I'm pretty, um, you know, man, I'm here. I'm here and I'm enjoying talking to you. I'm glad. Glad to hear and, that at least. Uh, I'm conscious, so those are all points in my favor. All right, this is uh, listeners. Um, this is a, a late recording. Uh, we are starting this at nine thirty, um, which for some of you may not sound late, but uh, please remember that Dave has twins and is a high school teacher. So if we get a little uh, little punchy, just roll with it. It's going to be good. Um, I I am doing well. I know you didn't ask, but it's fine. I know you're a little sleepy. Um, oh, I also am awesome. doing well. Thank you. In my in my heart, Matt, I asked, I think. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So, Dave, this week we are watching episode 22 of Cherokee Sentai Ranger. It is called The Classified Combination Order. But before we get into that, Dave, shining in the heavens, there are five stars. What is our first star of the week? Well, Matt, our first star of the week... Okay, so I haven't really done much. Um... Except be alive and and go to work. But our first star of the week, Matt, our first star of the week is pizza. Okay. Uh, go, well, go you know, for Matt, it. Well, listen, I was just, I was thinking about this. And, uh, okay, so I've got to make a lot of posters for my room. I have to make posters for my classroom. This is like a thing, right? That like somebody at some point decided that you needed to have posters for your classroom to to the point this is not a joke that having your classroom decorated is a it is a mark on the rubric for like teacher evaluation for the ohio department of education really i i just yeah i desperately wish that i was kidding about that but i'm not and so i've got to have posters in my room but i hate teacher posters um because they're just like they're all they're just like they're garfield and, uh, you know, and some other stuff, and they're really lame. So I just decided that I was going to make my own posters. Okay. And so... Sounds like pizza I, so far. Yeah. Well, listen, it's... Uh, I'm going to get there. So I've been thinking about my... You know, I've been thinking about these posters, and I said, what, what messages would I want my students to be sort of, like, meditating on as they are... You know, what's my version of the hang in there poster. Sure, Friday's right? coming. Yeah, Friday's hang in there. What's my version of that poster? And so I really like the Stoic philosopher uh, Marcus Aurelius. Sure, sure. Yeah, and so I I've think been, we've all read his meditations. Yeah, and so I've been sort of like using those as inspirations to create some posters. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so some of them, you know, like, listen, the Stoics are a little bit grim, but a lot of what he talks about in his in the meditations is like you know what man uh the past is gone and the future isn't here yet so just live live in the present yeah that's why they call and, it the present it's a gift yeah that's why they call it the present and we're oh man matt we had a really good run as brothers <laughs> <sighs> so man that's a real bummer all right well well this, Dave, we, that's, we, that's we started 
We've already That's started end, recording. Guys. We already started recording this episode. At least let's <laughs> let's see this one through the end and see if I can't salvage this. <laughs> so, anyways, so I was thinking about stars, and I was like, you know what, man? Just take, just think about pizza. Think about like the tiny miracle that is pizza, and the next time you eat, just do this. Do this. I was about to say, do it for me. Don't do it for me. Do it for you. The next time you eat pizza, imagine that you've never eaten pizza before. That this pizza that you are about, that future you, is about to eat. Or, let's be real, there's a greater than 0% chance that you're eating pizza right now if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, Dave, can I, can I be real honest with you sec- for a sec? Are uh, you eating pizza right now? No, but if we weren't recording, I had to skip Pizza Club tonight to record this. <laughs> oh, uh, well, okay. We're back. We're back in. I know that that's a real <laughs> sacrifice for you. So anyways, uh, just imagine that you've never eaten pizza before. Like, banish all memory of pizza. Clear your cache, as it were. Banish all memory of pizza from your mind as much insofar as that is uh, possible for you. And approach this pizza as though it's the first pizza just do that for you. That's all I've got. That's just a crush it piece of advice. Okay. Next time you encounter some pizza, just crush it. So star number one is uh, Marcus Aurelius is suggesting to your high school students to scruffle down on some za as though they have never <laughs> scruffled before. Well, you know, also to live a life such that like if you died tomorrow, you would be proud of the life you've lived. I think sure. that's also a key. And cruffle cr- down <laughs> on, some, on some za. Uh, what, Matt, is our second star of the week? Dave, second star of the week. It's been a minute, but uh, I got a commute update. Commute update. Yeah, it has been a minute. Yeah, so, okay, here is the update on my commute. Um, there has been, as as always in the city of Cleveland and surrounding area, there has been a mad amount of construction sort of in all stages of my commute for, I don't know, the entire two and a half years I've worked at my current job. Mm-hmm, yeah, no, I just, yes, uh-huh. Um, and so there, there's a new bit that really caught me by surprise. Which cool. is that? Cool, 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 cool. Yeah. So there's, and this actually is not the worst part of the current uh, commute sitch. Uh, the worst part is that uh, the bridge on the shoreway going over the Cuyahoga River is currently down to one lane in either direction. Ooh. Yeah. But, I mean, the good thing is that they are like shoring up the supports of the bridge so it doesn't just fall over one of these days. So ultimately, no, well, you know, I'm not that, that is... mad at it. That's cool. Oh, Matt, you should probably tell people how many lanes it normally is. Oh, normally it's three in each direction. So that's we we are down to one third total capacity. It's very good. Um, but there is another bridge, Dave. There's an overpass that goes over um seventy one, uh, sort of south of the city. I'm sorry, seventy seven, sort of south of the city. It doesn't really matter, but it's true. Um, yeah, no, I, uh, yeah, I know the one you're talking about. I think it's sort of right next to that big, um, like factory or foundry thing that always has fire belching out of that one particular store. Yeah, I love that thing. That thing's super cool. Okay, so there is a overpass there, or should I say, there used to be because it's gone now. They took it down. 
It's just what? I don't I don't think it was a road overpass. I think it was like a train overpass. But here is what happens when you take the same route to work every day for like two and a half years, and then all of a sudden one of the underpasses that you used to drive through, kind of when two roads are coming together, is suddenly gone. Like every day, and it has been a few weeks, every day when I am driving to work, I get to the point where I ought to have driven under it by then, and I'm like Wait a second, I have somehow missed my exit. I don't know where I am anymore because this bridge is not here. And it's just that the bridge isn't there anymore and never will be again. And it is, like, every morning a new weird challenge to try to gauge whether or not I'm actually on the right road and how much further it is for me to get to work because, like, all my visual cues have been thrown off. That's, hmm, yeah, that is weird. Yeah, huh. I mean that's that's it. That's my commute update, Dave. Also today I saw a <laughs> a uh, license plate that said Dad Fair, um, and I wasn't sure if it was talking about like a father who is just and kind, or if it is a thing down at the local convention center where you can go to pick up a new dad. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, or if it could be a fair for dads. It could be a fair for dads, like right, a, just maybe a carnival only for pops. Right, or if you're a dad in need of a new family, you could go, you know, like a job fair, like you go to get a new job. Yeah, but I feel like you, that's where you would go to get a new dad. Otherwise, that's a family mm-hmm. fair. Oh, good point, good point, good point. Anyway, there we go. Uh, that's Commute Update. Dave, what is our third Star of the Week? So our third Star of the Week, Matt, is uh, I haven't done one of these in a while, but you know what, Matt? It's a Commute Update. Commute update. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it is actually. So I was walking home. I don't have a lot of these because my commute is like a nine-minute walk from my front door. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was walking home. Yeah, listen, Matt. I think I meant. I just want to preface this by saying. I haven't been living like a super exciting life these last couple of weeks. <laughs> so uh, my bar is very low. So I was walking home the other day. Um, today, actually, not the other day, today. I was walking home for lunch. And uh, the lacrosse team had been practicing uh, in the in the football field, which I walked by on my way home. Okay. In the previous day, I guess. And as I was walking by, I found this great lacrosse ball in the grass. Oh. Yeah. Uh, and that I, I, that's I swear I I know that sounds like I'm joking. I'm not. If you've never like handled a lacrosse ball, they are they're like very very heavy, dense rubber, and they bounce super well, and they've just got a very satisfying heft to them. Especially if you spent just like a lot of years uh, during your high school and maybe middle school life learning how to juggle. Oh yeah, yeah. I was I was not kidding when I sounded uh, excited about having found a lacrosse ball. Those are like yeah. those are the gold standard of like bouncy juggling balls. Yeah, and especially especially as Matt just said, if you want to bounce juggle and bounce juggling is it's like a reverse juggling where instead of throwing things up in the air and catching them, you throw them at the ground and they bounce up and you sort of, I mean, you're still catching them, I guess. Uh, check out a guy named Michael Motion M O S C H E N. He is mind-blowingly good at he sort of invented bounce juggling in many ways and he's incredible and he uses lacrosse balls so i found this great lacrosse ball and now i just have one and uh, i was kind of bouncing it to myself on the way home 
and it was it's just got a real satisfying heft. Like, a low bar. It's a low bar for stars. These <laughs> hey, days, still, man. man. I just, hey, listen, any. Any we, any we we got to do five of these a week, man. <laughs> any any port in the storm. What Matt is our fourth star of the week, Dave? Our fourth star of the week is that um, the reason that we are sort of recording off schedule right now is that um, over last week, at the end of last week, I for a couple of days had to leave town. I had to travel for work to the city of Indianapolis. Uh, David, I don't think I've ever been to Indianapolis. Well, neither had I. Um, and because it is in the state of Indiana, and I have driven through the state of Indiana before, my immediate thought on learning that I was going to be going to Indianapolis was like, oh no, H- how dare they do this to me? What, what yeah, shall become seems... of me? Yeah, I don't, I mean, listen, I've never, I think I've driven through Indiana like a time. But I don't know anything about Indianapolis aside from the car race, yes. which does make me inclined not to go there. Um, the, the the Indianapolis 500, I think, is coming up pretty shortly because they're in – maybe this is just what their city is like all the time. But there was a lot of just, like, stuff around, like, commemorating it. Um, but actually, it turns out it's not a huge city, but Indianapolis is kind of nice. Um, cool. I mean, it's the capital. I think probably a lot of people would say that about Cleveland. So yeah, but those people shouldn't be surprised because Cleveland is great. Yeah, Cleveland rules. You no, guys. see what what I should do is knowing that Cleveland is a good city in an otherwise boring state, give other cities like the benefit of the doubt. But I almost never do, and I I find that keeping that bar low has actually served me pretty well uh, because when I get to places and they turn out to actually be nice, I'm like, oh right, other like people live here on purpose. Right. Yeah, you know, listen, man, I think that's the key to a lot of happiness in life. It's like, don't set your bar high for the wrong stuff. Like, set your bar high for some stuff, but keep it real low for other stuff. Exceed those low expectations. Exceed those. Right. If you're going to travel to Indianapolis, just expect it to be super lame, and then it turns out it's nice. I, Do that thing. I did go to... uh for. I was there for two nights, and both of those nights I went to the oldest bar in Indiana. Uh, it is called, and Dave, I promise you I'm not making this up, the bar is called The Slippery Noodle. Um, it was Okay, sure. It was down uh, the street from where I was staying, um, sort of down by, it was just like the middle of downtown. Um, and like I said, I was there for two nights. Both nights we ran into like the same guy who was also from Cleveland who was in town. And then the second night we went there... Was he... Wait, hold up. Was he in town for the same reason you were? Because that would at least make some sense. No, he was in town for a completely different reason. Um, I, mm. I don't actually remember what that reason was. He gave me his card, and then I immediately lost it and forgot about it. Um, but he was a nice guy. But it was the same guy two nights in a row. And then the second night, we had gone out to dinner. Uh, me and my coworker, we had gone out to dinner. And then we went to the Slippery Noodle again, and we ran into our waiter there. Like, our waiter from dinner the night before, uh, earlier that day. So I thought, like, either this bar is, like, the like the coolest place in town where all the people go... Or Indianapolis is very small, and this is literally the only place where you can run into somebody. Uh, I, I choose kinda, to believe I that... feel like it was maybe halfway in between those two things. You know, I think either one works. I do prefer the version in which the oldest bar in Indiana is also the coolest bar in Indiana. Well, I wouldn't necessarily call it a cool bar, but it was very comfortable. I said, no, nah, I didn't say cool. I said coolest. 
And yeah, that was it. That was Indianapolis. It was uh, it was a non-eventful, but a lot more pleasant than it could have been day. Food was actually very good in that city. Nice. Seafood that's a, a, that's a big town. plus. Big plus for me. Anytime there's good food in a city. Yeah. Well, Matt, uh, the pleasant and welcoming city, apparently, of Indianapolis aside, uh, what is the fifth star of the week? Well, Dave, it's related because, um, as I said, I was doing a bit of traveling, and the guy with whom I was traveling, my coworker, um, he has, uh, because he is like semi-active in the National Guard, he has like TSA pre-check. Oh, and since cool. our tickets were purchased together. When we checked, like, when I went to go, like, get my boarding passes, I also had TSA pre-check. And Dave, I had never traveled with the pre-check before, and it is so nice. Is this is this like getting the advanced Hulu where there's no commercials? It is. It is exactly like that. Like, I was going to say, it feels like it's probably pretty similar. Like, you still have to go through security, but there's, like, a separate line... And there are a lot fewer people there, and you don't have to take off your shoes and your belt. Um, and it just like you sort of breeze through, and it felt it, it. You know, it was probably still more security than there was on planes, like when we were kids. But it just mm. felt like it didn't feel dehumanizing, which oh, was such nice. a like such a pleasant surprise to go I was to an airport. Say, how pleasant. And feel like a civilized member of society for the entire time. Uh, yeah, it was really good. And then, as I said, uh, the guy was in the National Guard. So he had access to us go sitting in like the USO lounge area. Oh, I've heard very good things about this lounge. Yes. So um, I've never been to like a frequent flyers like Delta Medallion Club uh, lounge. But I imagine that they're pretty similar. Like... There are comfortable chairs, and there's just, like, snacks sitting around and places to plug stuff in. And just, like, it is a quiet place that is, again, like, it is a humanizing place in a otherwise dehumanizing area. Um, which was really nice. Now, here is where uh, being a guest in the USO Lounge is different from, like, being a guest in probably a frequent flyer miles uh, lounge. Is, Ooh, I have a guess. Is it very uncomfortable for you? Uh, it's, it wasn't very uncomfortable for most of it. But at one point, like, you know, two just, like, active service people rolled in and they were wearing fatigues. And I was just, like, sitting in one of their comfortable chairs, like, kind of eating a granola bar that was theirs. I mean, like, I could have it because I was there and the guy I was with said, like, oh, yeah, like, grab some snacks or whatever. But as soon as those other people walked in in uniform and I was just, like sitting in an easy chair, like, scarfing down some, like, military <laughs> snacks. I was like, yeah, oh, that's no. where I thought this was going to go. <laughs> I got to I gotta get out of here. Like, this is not my place. And, like, I don't know if they... Okay, never mind. I know that, like, they, on a moment of looking at me, is like, that dude is a guest here. Um, right, he is. Like, he's with that other dude who has a crew cut. Right, the other guy has short hair. This dude has, like, sort of a shaggy top and, a, like, a full beard. There is no way he is supposed to be here. Why is he drinking my Diet Coke? Why is he <laughs> drinking America's Diet Coke? <laughs> uh, anyway, so, but it was. It was really, it was very nice. It's going to be difficult next time I travel uh, to have to just sort of, like, go back into the cattle chute. Of non pre-check, um, but well, such Matt, is life. There is a listen. There's a very simple solution to that problem. Yeah, I suppose there is. 
Uh, but well, we will we will cross that bridge. I mean, it's a drastic solution, <laughs> but it's not complicated. <laughs> oh no, no I, I thought you were talking about just getting pre-check. I, I did not realize that you were talking about something so drastic as joining the military. <laughs> just, I don't know, man. How good is that granola bar? <laughs> it was, you know, it was fine. <laughs> I can just buy them. It's cool. Um, anyway, Dave, that is it for the five stars. We are going to take a break. We're going to watch episode 22, the classified combination order, and we will be right back. Okay, Dave, welcome back. Uh, it is now later in the evening. How are you holding up? Uh, I'm all right. I'm all right. Uh, I am buoyed by that very, very, very good episode of Sentai that we just watched. Oh, heck yes. So, okay, we start off in this episode, and it kind of is a continuation from the previous week's episode. If you recall last week, um, the giant robots were doing a sort of dance aerobics routine as part of yes. uh, O-Ranger Robo's physical therapy for his um like uh recovery after being destroyed a few episodes ago mm-hmm. and so what we see in this uh this sort of opening segment oh sorry before we actually get to the opening segment they they did it they did it again matt which is they showed me the very coolest element of this episode in the preview Dave, and it drives uh, me crazy every... I'm not going to say what it was, because I'm not going to make that mistake. Sure. I mean, listen, it, it drives us crazy every time, and I think we mention it every time. Um, but to be fair to the show, like, they are trying... You know, they when this show was, show was airing originally, it wasn't airing to people who had just bought a DVD of it. You know, it was airing to people who were, like, flipping past through channels... Trying to decide right. if they uh, wanted no, to watch something. That's, I mean, okay, that's and so, yeah, they they had to hook him in. So, anyways, and it was, so there's some very good stuff with this episode. So, what we see is that they are kind of doing that same thing, but this time, apparently, Orobo is is feeling much better and is on the mend, and so they're doing sports. Yes, we start and off with a, a giant foot race. The vi- yeah, they do a giant foot race, and the very, very, very good thing about this is that they are doing sports that require sports equipment. Yes, there is apparatus. And so they have created a giant pommel horse, a pommel horse that is not only physically large enough for O-Robo and Red Puncher to, to use, but also is durable enough to with like to support the full weight of a giant of a robot that's like the size of the Chrysler building that is jumping on top of it a build it, yeah a, a robot that we have seen just like fall through a building before yeah uh, it can jump on this so whatever this technology is they need to make buildings out of it they also are playing basketball yes which means that they which, have constructed a like. A stories tall basketball hoop. This basketball is like the size of a house, and it's very clearly a new mat, like an air filled basketball. Yes. Uh, and so it's just, I just don't know. I don't know where I'm just in, and a basketball hoop. They create a basketball hoop for them to play with. Um, here's another amazing thing is that we see Red Puncher, and Red Puncher is like, throwing he's like shooting baskets and stuff but here's the incredible thing the red puncher he only has fists right his hands are not like articulated 
They do not open. They is his hands are only for punching. It's <laughs> so in the name. So he's grabbing this grass, this basketball, and he is holding it like if you've ever seen like a cat try to grab something, it's doing <laughs> that because it doesn't have fingers and opposable thumbs. It just has giant punching fists. So what what I love about this whole sequence is that like clearly like the people in these suits are just like person sized, and these robot suits are you know like slightly larger than a regular person. In yeah, I reality. mean, you know, way to way to peel back the veil, Matt. But yes, well, they sure. are in fact so, humans in in robot suits. You know, so like when they do stuff like this, the props that they've given them are just regular props. Like you know, this is just a basketball hoop and a basketball sort of. But they're in the the sort of outdoor set where they're standing next to like miniature mountains and so forth. But like, there's a bit with a soccer ball and a bit with a basketball, and so. While the props guy was just like, oh, yeah, you're doing soccer, here's the soccer ball. You're doing basketball, here's the basketball. Like, in the fiction of the show, to do all of this stuff, they're like, well, O-Ranger Robo needs to practice basketball and soccer. Um, So we're going to make not one type, but two separate giant balls. (laughs) We couldn't just use the same. Well, listen, man, they're stitched together different. They look very, very different. So, obvious, you need two house-sized inflatable balls for your giant. Yeah, for your and giant listen, punching robot. If, if there's something we are going to discover very shortly, um, we are told by Bacchus Wrath, like in one of the very next scenes, that there's there's a certain beauty and perfection to the ball shape. There is. Uh, we're going to get there. And so we see a couple of the things is they do, uh, oh, Robo is doing some, like, punching practice. They did create some giant, uh, you know, like, boxing trainer, like, padded glove mitt things. Yeah, uh, we had those a few episodes puncher. ago, actually. Yeah, and then they say, uh, Goro says, like, okay, now you try Crown Final Crash. Like, can you do it? And so they activate Crown Final Crash, and they cut a small mountain in half. Uh, using Crown Final Crush. And he's like, okay, cool. You know, like, you're good. Like, we're, you know, that's it. That demonstrates that you are back to fighting strength, O-Robo. Yes. And just in time, uh, because they are about to be attacked by a giant rolling spiky ball. What the? Sorry, Matt. I'm sorry. I'm reading my notes as we're, like, going through the episode. And uh, so I was watching the episode when, of course, the babies were around. And I, so I can't use my computer because they're fascinated by it. And they just want to touch it, which is a problem, A, because they, it messes things up. But also it has a touch screen, right? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I just had to take notes on my phone, like, using voice to text into, like, Google Note. And so my notes get really weird because they will they are half me taking like narrating the episode to myself so i remember what happened and half me talking to the babies <laughs> and telling them to like please get down and like don't stand on the table and stuff so this just says explosion sorry sweetie the city is attacked red puncher <laughs> i uh i used to have not that problem um but the problem i used to have sometimes when we were recording the episodes when we were talking about um Cocker ranger is that one of the characters in that show has a name that is phonetically similar to something that will trigger something on the iPhone, uh, which is to say, uh, here, let me see if it's going to do it now. Surihime. 
Okay, no, it didn't do it. But that, but like Siri Hime is definitely something that once every couple of weeks, my phone would mistake for Hey Siri. Oh, uh, dang it. <laughs> there's no need for that. Oh, ah, there it is. Uh, anyway, so yes, I, I, I have felt a similar, uh, although of course, um, it's an altogether less, uh, with fewer consequences sort of situation. Uh, anyway, where were we? we uh, they're being attacked by a giant spiky ball. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're being attacked. So there's explosions in the city, and uh, Red Puncher arrives. They sort of launch. So I'm not sure what how much time is passing, because Red Puncher does get launched out of the cannon to fight this thing. And uh, it's basically just a giant spiky sphere, and it's sort of, like, floating around. I can't tell if it's supposed to be, like, bouncing, but what is actually happening is that it's on, like, a fishing line or something and it's just being kind of swung around into the city's uh set and so they they're fighting it oh robo goes goes in as well they do the horn head change he tries it does like an electrical beam bloat beam bloat uh beam blast Mm -hmm. thing and uh you know but the sphere just seems to be ignoring it and it just kind of swings around and is is smacking into them real hard yeah and Bacchus Wrath is there and this is where he's talking about how like the beauty of being attacked by a sphere shaped monster is yeah the sphere is the most powerful shape according to Bacchus Wrath hey man listen uh this show has a lot to do with shapes sometimes and I, it's good that they're trying to figure out which one is the strongest shape. I think we will discover by the end of this episode that uh, it is not the strongest shape. But I think we will discover in a few episodes from now that there is an even that the strongest shape has not yet arrived. Yeah, that is definitely true. Uh, oh, by the way, this guy he can unroll. Uh, he is like an armadillo monster. His name is. It's kind of a clever but, thing, but it's hard to say. Um, so he's, yeah. It's, he's an armadillo, and all of the things are like bara whatever. So instead of him being bara armadillo, he's bara madillo. Yeah, that uh, kind of works. I mean, you get it. And right? so yeah, it's when close he, enough. He, yeah, I do. And so he can uh, he can yeah, like you said, he can sort of un unroll himself, and he's got like giant. You know what he kind of reminded me of is uh, Bakuryu from um, Fighting Game. You turn into animals. Bloody Prime. roar. Bloody Roar. Dang, Bloody Roar is a fun game. Anyways, yeah, he sort of looks like Bakuryu. He's even, like, he's real hunched over, and it looks like what you think is his chest is actually his head, and then he's got, like, another thing on his back. It's a pretty cool look as a monster goes. Oh, yeah. So, anyways, um, they are, they're fighting this thing. It's not going super well. And the chief says, okay, O-Robo and Red Puncher combine. And the Rangers, huh? <laughs> you can see them sort of like double take. Like, what? What? We, we can combine these giant robots? What are you talking about? Why have we never discussed this before? Yeah. And he says, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can totally. I built this into them like when I was designing them, which, okay. I just, Red Puncher was designed and basically completed Way before he ever even started designing a robo, robo, and then Red Punch, like the chief, decided that Red Puncher was too crazy and erratic and couldn't be reasonably piloted, which is why he just left it buried under a mountain for you know twenty episodes or something. So, what? So why? How is this functionality right. that's why built would, into them? 
why would he have then also built all of that stuff into O-Ranger Robo to interact with a robot that he had planned to leave buried for all of eternity? Yeah. Oh, man, the chief works in mysterious ways. I mean, clearly, like, it does work for him because they definitely do combine, not immediately. Though. I was going to say, they combine eventually. Um, yeah. So he says, yeah, run program number 507, uh, and that will automatically start the combination sequence. Yeah, and this is the artillery combination. That's what this is. Yes, and the Rangers um, are like, well, uh, okay, that sounds amazing. And Pockets Roth is like, oh, boy, uh, we were not expecting this. So they go to combine, and uh, what it is is like they kind of go, they do like a, a big like uh, forearm bash, like the Bash Brothers, mm-hmm. right? And then they kind of go back to back, and they start to combine, and then there's like a big electrical storm, and they are sort of flung apart. It doesn't work. Well, something is wrong. Like they can't, they can't do it. They can't combine power. Yeah, and so they say, okay, well, we need to run away from this thing because we can't beat it separately, and we can't combine right now, so we'll go. So they withdraw, and then Bacchus Roth says, is it Acha or Kocha? Uh, it's Kocha. So he says to Kocha, like, listen, uh, you're a little dude. Go follow them, because now we know they can combine, and we know that something is wrong. So if you can figure out what is wrong, you know, if you can spy on them, then maybe we can stop them from combining in the future, and, like, that yeah. would be good for yeah, us. Yeah, like, they've tipped their hand. Like, if we had... Like, now we know, and we can and we can try to prevent it. So we're back at the base, and what we find out is that Red Puncher is missing a memory chip that will allow it... Like, it doesn't have the program. Like, uh, Orobo has the program stored appropriately. Red Puncher doesn't, and so they can't actually... They can't actually do this thing. And what we find out is that it is... This memory chip, it's not like a giant... Magical Choriki motherboard. It is literally the size of a regular memory chip from like 1996 or whenever this came out. It's like the size of a quarter. Yeah, it's just like some more RAM, basically. Yeah, and so they say, well, it's maybe it's just still at the quarry. This memory, this quarter-sized memory chip that was buried under a mountain. And and if you think like it's unlikely years, that they could. If you think it unlikely that they could just go to the quarry and find this small memory chip, then you will be blown away by how unlikely the actual events are. Okay, so what we do is so we we go back. So we go back the to sister, or not the sister, the daughter. No, it is the sister. I'm sorry. The, the relationships between these people are, are hazy to me because I never thought I would see her again. So the original pilot yeah. of Red Puncher, who died Lu- when the whole thing collapsed. something or other. Yeah, I don't remember his name. Yeah, His they either go... younger sister or daughter, probably sister. No, it's a, it's a sister. They go to his sister and they say, hey, do you remember seeing anything? Like, do you happen to remember seeing... This very, very, very small thing in this giant quarry that is filled with things that are basically the same color. Oh, and it was probably buried under a mountain. Did you happen to have seen that? And she, of course, says, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I've totally seen it. <laughs> so we, oh, we that get, thing? We get a flashback. And yeah, I definitely know where that is. And she goes back, you know, in her flashback. Uh, she was visiting her brother's grave and laying down some flowers, and a small boy walks up to a spot not 20 feet from where she's standing, 
and says, oh, look, check this out. This is a memory chip. It's the most advanced memory chip I've ever seen. I've got to try this thing out. And then just picks it up and walks away. So we cut back to yeah. the present and the, the sister is like, oh, yeah, that was probably it. That kid. Yeah, that kid. That I, as far as we know, have never seen before and will have never seen again. And, okay, they actually do do something for us here because Goro says, all right, we'll just check the park registry for that day. And that will tell us everyone who visited the, the quarry park. So, at the very least, they do give us some explanation as to how they figure out, out of, like, all of Tokyo who this one kid is. I do just want to read you my notes real uh, real quickly, Matt. Mm-hmm. And they just say, they're asking the sister of all people if she knows where the memory chip is. It is the size of a quarter in an entire rock quarry. And we know for a fact that it was, oh, never mind, she has it. <laughs> uh, okay. So anyways, we, we go and uh, the kid's name is Satoru. Okay. Yes. Now. Which my phone picked up as Santoro. Not sure why, hmm. but sure. So uh, Satoru, we we see him, and he is uh, he's in like a a re- computer lab, basically. Not like a computer lab, like at your high school, where there's a bunch of computers. Like he is in a lab for working on computers. Yeah. Uh, in my notes, I have him described as a baby mad scientist because he's, oh, that's good. Yeah, he is taking this memory chip and putting it into this little um like square device that is. Sort of like the same size as a largish hardcover book. Uh, yeah, that sounds about right. So he plugs it in, and the machine starts to say, like, hello, hello, hello. And this is why I think he is a tiny mad scientist, because basically he starts shouting, like, why won't you speak to me? Like, why are you only saying hello? I must crack this code. Yeah, so he, um... Yeah, so what we find out is that he is using this... He's, like, trying to create an an AI, basically. So the rangers show up, and they say, Hey, we're we're not sure what's going on. We don't really know what you're doing with this chip, but it's it's very, very important, and we we would like it back, please. I think it is a little bit weird. I mean, I guess it's polite, and they do have their very public figures. They have an image to maintain. It does seem weird to me. Just, okay, like, within the context of the show, it makes sense. As an actual adult, the idea that, like, you as a ranger who have this, like, world-saving robot and you need this one little chip are going to a child and very politely requesting it as opposed to showing up at his mother's doorstep and saying, your child has inadvertently stolen, like, hyper-advanced military technology and we will be taking it back immediately. Uh... (laughs) It's yeah, just... no, they are they are very polite and like understanding about this whole thing. Yeah, uh, so the kid so, runs. Yeah, because he just he's like, no, I have to. I, this is my chip. Uh, he, we will figure out. We will find out. By the way, why he's so invested in this chip. Yeah, and he has probably at this point had this chip for I don't know a year at least. Yeah, like some at least yeah a couple of months or something. So um. There's a there's a fight so they trans there's a fight the rangers tension uh we do get a really I'm not really sure where they're supposed to oh, be oh yeah because uh, the kid's house anymore because Acha has now seen or Kocha rather has seen yep. like this is what is happening they need this chip and they have sent in Bara soldiers to intercept the kid oh yeah sorry thank you 
So the kid is is running and he sort of escapes and there's like a we see the fight happening and it's in like a long series of tunnels or I'm sorry of uh, arches that sort of create a tunnel but the the path that they are on is gently curving off to one side and so it's this really wild uh visual effect it sort of looks as though the rangers are you know how it looks when you're standing between two mirrors, right? Mm-hmm. It's identical on either side and it sort of curves off into the distance. It looks like that, but the Rangers are in there fighting the Barra soldiers. It's just, we keep mentioning these cool little things, and uh, it's just because it's so unique, at least in my experience of watching Sentai, uh, uh, of these really cool, well-thought-out, interestingly filmed fight sequences normally when we see a cool fight sequence it's like oh they did a neat flip or something but these are really like these are are really like high class uh yeah there there, there's another one in a moment as this fight continues because um goro and the kid get separated from the other four um and they end up in a quarry which they they ran away from the kid's house so this kid has to live like the quarry has to basically be his backyard Um, which I guess would make sense as like why he was there looking around. Um, but there's this shot where Goro is fighting Barra soldiers at like the top of this sort of ledge and he's like knocking the Barra soldiers off the ledge. And so they're sort of tumbling down the, uh, sort of cliff face towards the foreground of the camera, but like in very slow motion, it's very dope. Yeah, like they just they crush it, dude. The fight sequences in O Ranger are uh, they are are pretty boss. Yeah, I don't think that the actual like not all of the fight choreography is as good as like uh, some of the cool stuff we saw in Die Ranger. Although no, I mean, some I of it is you're, very you're good. Correct about that. Yeah, but the the cinematography I really dig. So they uh they they're fighting for a little while and they they manage to sort of escape at least they at least like get a breather basically, and so. Goro turns to this kid. He's like, "Listen, um, I I get it. Like, you think this thing is super cool, and it is, but like, we do really need it. It's very, very important." And now we find out why this kid is so so unwilling to part with this memory chip. It's flashback time. It's flashback time again. So we flashback and- to the kid's <laughs> this is, this father's flashback. deathbed. It's so pure and perfect. <laughs> because it, like it's very significant to the kid, right? But in the course of this episode, it is pure exposition and like really harebrained exposition. So the kid's dad is like lying on his deathbed. He's sick or something. We don't get to find out, and frankly, it doesn't matter. Um, he is holding this device that the kid has been tinkering with. Yes. He says, like, son. This is my greatest invention, like a robot that can talk to you. But here's the problem. It won't work because although the device has been designed properly, there's not enough memory. It doesn't have enough memory. If only I could have a more advanced memory chip, I could give this gift to the world of a talking box. (laughs) <laughs> then he dies. <laughs> um, and so his literally his dying words were, if only I had a more powerful memory chip. And so the kid, he's which, like, so yeah, that was I my dad's dying say, wish. You can't have the chip back. I'm sorry. Yeah. So very briefly, like we have seen the inside of this box, right? 
And it's not like there's, okay, there's a space for the memory chip to go. And there's like a set number of pins for the memory chip to plug into. It is designed for like a 16 pin memory chip. So he he wasn't like someday I will have like uh, I'll there will be like a cable like and I'll be able to plug it into this prototype. He is he's only created like one specific spot in this intervention where this memory chip can go. He just wants a memory chip that is the exact same dimensions but has a lot more memory. This is Brunelleschi's dome. He's invented <laughs> Brunelleschi's dome again. With this stupid memory chip. How many episodes are we going to pull up Brunelleschi's Dome? You know, Matt, I don't know, but I've gotten it twice in a row, and I'm feeling real, real good about it. So anyways, he says, like, listen, um, you, you just can't. You can't have it. It's my dad's dying wish to have this, this memory chip. Now, thankfully, we are interrupted before Goro says, like, yeah, that's cool and everything, but I'm still taking it because I need it to save the planet by the arrival of Bacchus Wrath. Yeah, so they are, they have to sort of like run away from him. Um, And oh, and also at this point, the other rangers have started to fight um, Baramadillo. Baramadillo has come back and he is giant. And the other four rangers are all in O-Ranger Robo. So there's like a separate fight sort of happening while Goro and the kid are running away from Bacchus Wrath and a bunch of Bara soldiers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, it's it's pretty neat, like that flying octopus. I can't remember the name of it. Like the flying octopus mm-hmm. fighters, like show up and they're like they're shooting at the woods, and Goro yeah. and the kid I, are running I, across this bridge. I and think it they explodes have to, and stuff. It's very neat. I think they reuse some footage from the first episode when the oh, yeah. rangers I, were being I, chased I, through the woods. I feel like almost definitely. Oh, you know what, Matt? I think we're wrong. Emperor uh, Bacchus Wrath has not arrived yet. It's just Bara soldiers. Uh, okay. Because what happens is uh, the Goro and, the, and Satoru are on the bridge, and then it sort of explodes, and they dive over the side. They land in the river, which did not seem deep enough to to support that happening without uh, death on their part, but whatever. And then the next I mean, scene that's we see... It's, uh, it's pretty strong. Yeah, I'm not sure how Satoru survives, but... So uh, the next scene we see is Goro and Satoru sort of stumbling out of the river. Yeah, now Goro uh, at this point has untransformed. He is just back in his jumpsuit. Yes. And yeah. somehow, taking a dip in the river has not only not destroyed this computer, but it seems to have shocked it to life. Yeah, something is happening, and it's it's talking, and it what, what we hear it saying is it's activating the transformation sequence for... Red Puncher to combine with Orobo. Yeah, so okay. as, it, as it turns out, there, what is on this memory chip? It's not even the whole program, which leads me to think that this memory chip isn't actually that big. Um, I mean, I don't know. This was like in the mid-90s. Maybe this was a crazy big memory chip. It seems like, yeah, the, only, say, it seems like the only listen, thing dude. that this thing has on it is a like 30-character sequence. Like, that's it. It's a text file with some letters and numbers in a row. Well, no, it's got it's got like some voice on it, obviously, because it's no, like getting the. I don't the think sing- that's from the chip. I think that's from the device. But it's talking about Red Puncher. Where else would it be getting information about Red Puncher except from this particular memory chip? I don't it's know, not like man. it was preloaded with like a Red Puncher routine. But I mean, listen, dude. I bought in two thousand and four. I bought a thumb drive, like literally the size of my thumb. That was two hundred and fifty six megs. 
That's 256 true. megs, Matt. I just bought a chip for my phone that is literally a chip. It's like the size of my pinky nail, and it's 10 gigs or something stupid. I forget. It's a lot of gigs for something that's the size of my fingernail. Anyways, so it starts talking, and it's talking about this transformation sequence, and this is when Bacchus Wrath shows up. Right, because he's like, oh, no, 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 no. I know that that chip is what you know is going to be helping you, so I'm now going to destroy the chip. Yeah, so he blasts the chip with lightning from his, like, cog staff, and it it explodes, and there's, like, a big, like, a shining beam of light that, that pours out of it, uh, because that's what happens. Yeah, when you destroy a, an advanced yeah. enough memory chip, it's got light all up in there. Okay, well, okay, let me just say... It is a chip that is designed to go in a Choriki channeling robot, so maybe. Okay, so this explosion not only destroys the device, it also destroys Goro's shirt. Yeah, which seems like a... Because this dude... Listen, Goro encounters a, a, a number of explosions that just, like, way skews the average. And his shirt's always fine, but this time it ex- it's, it, its shirt is gone. The sleeves and are so, still there. It's kind of like the front, back, and collar of the shirt have gotten destroyed. Like it's just yeah, like it's like a reverse asunder. tank top. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a reverse tank top. So Bacchus Wrath is like, ha ha ha! That's that's it. You can never, you'll never be able to do this. Uh, I think Bacchus Wrath has forgotten that the chief who invented the whole thing to begin with is still still alive i really don't know why they felt like they needed to recover this particular memory chip it seems like the chief upon realizing the problem could have just made a new one hey man uh but apparently uh, he couldn't yeah. um and now they are well, this doomed. is Chekhov's memory chip it's yeah so apocalypse wrath is like you're doomed obviously you can't combine your robots your robots aren't powerful enough to beat barmadillo mm-hmm. so uh Checkmate, nerds. Right. What you got? So the kid uh, sort of circles around behind Goro to sort of like cower behind him. And when he does, he sort of stops for a second, then leans in and whispers something to Goro. And Goro is like, ha ha ha. As it turns out, we are not totally screwed. In the most insane way possible. Because what has happened is that in the flash of explosion and light, the 30-string sequence of numbers has become seared onto Goro's back. Yeah, because it was in the middle of saying it out loud. So when it exploded, like, instead of saying it, it started zapping it. And it just, like, wrote it in, like, burn marks on his back. Which really just looks like somebody took a stencil. Te- and, like, I was going to say, it's temporary tattoos is what it is. And so... Goro says another insane thing. He says, Chief, look at this. And then we see the Chief... <laughs> in the headquarters. In the at base. His desk. Watching, effectively, the footage that we just saw. And he's like, oh, cool. He just starts punching in the numbers into a computer. He writes them down first. He does write them down in like a notebook first, just to be clear. Uh, there's no we didn't see a camera no at the thing dude chief's got so, eyes everywhere I, he must he must have eyes everywhere 
And so he uh, he writes it down, and then he like uploads it to Red Puncher, basically. And then that's enough. All it really needed was like the password, and now they have unlocked the com- combination program. Yeah, and so. Uh, which is good, just it's a good thing it was just in time because Oberobo was doing very poorly in this fight. So what it is is that this is what was the what was the name of it, Matt? Oh, the the Buster O Ranger Robo. Yes, Buster O Ranger Robo. So Red Puncher arrives and he like Red Puncher does his sort of standard opening move set. He does like Magna Puncher where he gets launched out of the cannon, and then he does uh, like Gatling fists. I think is that what they're called? So he sort of softens up Barmadillo. Yeah, but like none and of it then, really seems to be doing much good. Yeah, and then they combine, and it's super cool. Okay, so the way that this combination works is they go sort of like back to back, and then they sort of like their backs fuse together. Kind of. And Red Puncher's arms sort of like flip up back over its own head and over O-Ranger Robo's shoulders until they are sort of sticking from... If you were looking straight at the O-Ranger Robo side, these two arms are sort of like big cannons that are mounted on the shoulders. Yeah, and then we see that like Red Puncher, like the back of his head sort of detaches and becomes like a new helmet for for O-Robo. Yes. And then his they just are like a giant energy Gatling cannons mounted on O-Robo's shoulders. It's amazing. They just they just blast the bejesus out of Barmadillo. Yeah, and like that's it. Like this dude is toast. Um, and so, like, and that's pretty much it for the episode. Um, there is a weird moment at the end where they meet back up with the kid, and they're like, hey, um, you know, we, I know that that thing was important to you. We will help you sort of rebuild it and get it working so that you'll have, like, this talking robot. And then right as the moment is ending, you're like, oh, these, the the O-Rangers are going to help this kid. That's very sweet. And Momo says, like, yeah, I'm sure we could use something like that, too. So, basically, they are going to help this kid, but only to, like, weaponize his dad's invention and turn it into military technology. (laughs) (laughs) So, that's the episode. But it is not, Dave. It is not the end of our episode, because first... No, it is not. uh, We now have to determine how Baramadillo fares in the Reacher Royale. Okay, so really I think the biggest thing that Barmadillo has going for him is his look. Yes. Like, he's got a very cool look and he is the most powerful shape. Mm-hmm. I'll give him that. But but beyond that, I, he like, he's a not, he is he is about as close to a non-entity as you can get in this show. Yeah, like, he's tough, but he's not cool. I mean, he is a cool look. Like, if you just saw him walking down the street, well, first of all, that would be weird. But you know what I mean. Um, so he's yeah. definitely bottom half of the list, but not, like, bottom of the list. So I'm, I'm just kind of poking around for... I'm trying to figure out a place to start, Matt, and I'm just looking for someone who I thought had a really cool look, but that's about it. And the thing that's kind of popping out to me as I'm looking through the list, Matt, is uh, Tengu. 
Tengu from Conquer Ranger. Tengu had a really cool look. Like he was bold. Uh, he was brassy. He had attitude. But beyond that, there wasn't a lot going on with Tengu. If okay. I recall correctly, no, I can dig that. Now, uh, Tengu was he was around for like one or two episodes, and he did have a little bit more of a story. So I would I would say Tengu is my cap for. Uh, Barmadillo. Okay, we'll see. Vacuum Dimension stole people's love and sucked it into a vacuum. Okay, um, well, definitely not. Azukirai was like a fake policeman who had a dun- who had like a spooky Castlevania dungeon underneath his office. I was gonna say, I'm I'm still jumping down, Matt. Here, I'm looking like Archbishop Saw is basically the emperor. Yeah. Okay. Okay. You know what? I like him better than Bara Baby. That's for sure. Okay. Well, you, do you want to put him... What's right above there? Funeral figurine ventriloquist? Yeah, and he at least had like a cool sort of... Uh, he had a cool sort of Alfred Hitchcocky twist, twist there, so... Okay, yeah. So let's put him right in between Bara Baby and Funeral figurine ventriloquist. Looks good to me. Right on. So that puts him at number 212 on our list. Our master list. Which is getting kind of long. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. Um, And that is going to do it for our episode, Matt. Yes, Dave. uh, That is going to do it for another episode of For Your Eyes, O-Ranger. Um, if you, before we finish up here, I'd like to remind you all that you can email the show at supercentirebrothers at gmail.com. If you want to get any updates on future episodes, uh, check out the things that we're talking about on Twitter. We are at supercentibros. If you like the show, please remember that shining in the iTunes review section, there are five stars. Uh, rate, review, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find the show. That's what's going to help new people, uh, find it themselves. And it'll make me feel good. So, you know, throw me a bone here, bud. Come on. Um, the Super Sentai Brothers are a production of Retrograde Orbit Radio. To listen to any of the other great Retrograde Orbit Radio shows, you can do so at RetrogradeOrbitRadio.com. Uh, once again, we are the Super Sentai Brothers. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. And we'll see you next week for the greatest show on Earth.